pay you. Yes, I mean you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Waru Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you can support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at waterwaydeshow at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and MBs. Welcome to Stream of Thought, part of the Watery Desho podcast, where a couple of high status males discuss streaming anime. In what you might call bloggish form? Well, no, it's less a blog and more just like two people talking at the pub, I think. And have we got a triangle bomb for you this week? So grab a pair of X's and join us for the French Toast Hour. I am the Subtle Doctor, and with me is tournament winner and mean cooker of dinner. That was a rhyme that I tried to do really well and i think i succeeded shadan hello well i do play solid he is good at barbecuing things so hey there we go it works it does it does so so you won a tournament yes i won a tournament yesterday can you tell the people about it in one minute what's going to give a guilty gear a minute here i could i could go better than that i pushed the buttons and i did the fafnirs and they died there you go the end yeah that's pretty much it I, I made people suffer, and it was great. Who um, who did you beat in Grand Final? Uh, I beat uh, Inferno Kong, who's currently doing the rounds on FGC Drama because he called someone out. Who was he playing? Uh, he was playing Kum Heyoon, which is uh, the Tony Stark Iron Man character of Guilty Gear, except it's a Korean girl with cool headphones. Oh, so it's a, a total douchebag? How's that possible? Well, I, I would be. I can't tell you because Coom has no character in the story of Guilty Gear. She never speaks once outside <laughs> the robot because they decided, you know what, it might be cool if we had a, you know, giant burly man robot built by a girl who's like, you know, super competent but can't fight herself. And you could do some interesting things like that. You know, like someone, dare I say, stuck in a robot and then, you know, having to express oh, themselves. Boy. I mean, does that sound familiar oh, at boy. all? Does that sound... Su- I'm just oh, saying, boy. I'm just saying... But, well, no, Axis decided that, you know, having her talk would be too much effort. They'd have to pay another voice actor. And they've already have 50 million characters in that game. Oh, that this is a discussion for a podcast of another time, because I have much to say on the topic of fighting game stories, folks. If so, if you hate me talking about anime, you'll hate me even more talking about fighting <laughs> games. All right. Well, let's uh, let's say some hateful stuff 
because we're going to talk about episode 9 of Darling in the Franks Triangle Bomb. Before we begin, I have one thing I need to ask you, Doc. Have you ever heard of the old Star Trek numbering convention for good and bad, you know, Star Trek movies? Uh, the only reason I have is because you have mentioned it. Yes. <laughs> so the odd-numbered films are bad, and the even-numbered films are good, with the exception of Star Trek Nemesis, <laughs> because Star Trek Nemesis was shit. That's universal. Whatever you want to make of the modern reboots you can do, by far they sucks. And Watch Beyond, doesn't matter. Ooh! No, I, re- I really thought they were absolute shite. They were written by the same clowns who did the Transformers movies, so that gives you some idea of the level of script quality you can expect, you know, from the people who had U- Bumblebee urinate on John Turturro. Ah, a, a, truly a poet laureate of our time. More like piss-take laureate, to be quite honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the reason I bring that up is because I just now want to try and find out, like, as Franks goes on at this point, I need to come up with a rule for it. What is the convention for... Is there a numbering convention <laughs> for good and bad episodes of Darling in the Franks? Because I'm genuinely... God. There's got to be math to this. I want to work every it out. Is it prime fourth, numbers? Every, every fourth ep- episode? Four plus one. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. Every, four plus one. So that means the next good episode after this one will be episode 30... Oh, shit. <laughs> Number 13, we're fucks. That's it. We're done for. But yes, mild spoilers about how I feel about the episode, but Fervis comes shortly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, before we start talking about the events of the episode, let me just give a quick crediting here. The episode director is a person called Ryuta Ono. And I have uh, done the searching and the researching that I usually do. And I can find nothing about this person. Absolutely nothing. So, uh, Wikipedia is the source of this name. And I have since learned that when we have done crediting, say, for instance, on episode 8, the Wikipedia information, which remains the same as it was when we did episode 8, is in conflict with the Anime News Network information. Oh, no. So... I'm just going to sort of throw my hands up and wait for smarter people than myself and more fluent in Japanese people than myself work this shit out and just say, hey, doing the best I can for the time, and that's all I can do. So basically, to sum all it up, I'm just going to say, I am research, so shut the fuck up. (laughs) Um, The writer... For this episode, we do have some stuff on, uh, although very little. It's a name that you, when you hear it, Shadan, you'll probably think, that sounds familiar. And it's one Reno Yamazaki. Oh, oh, you're right. Do you recall this person? Mm. Who? Oh, pass. I'm not even going to pretend. Okay. Reno Yamazaki was the uh, script writer for the beach episode. And they're back. I guess they had an off day and a good day. The, the beach episode wasn't terrible, okay? I'll be it fair. wasn't. It I'll be wasn't. Th- no, no I've, I've got really coloured memories of certain elements of this show. I think it's just my opinion of the beach episode was that you could drop it entirely. It was completely peripheral. <laughs> yeah, as as far as utility, in ter- well, if you're defining utility as like advancement of shit, then that didn't really have too much. But like, I thought at the time, I think I said like, you know, viewing it as it is, like it was 
it was fine. Like there yeah. wasn't anything particularly terrible about it. And we got some breadcrumbs, which by the way, are still fucking like un unmentioned. We have not gone back to them really. Nope. Although that being said, um, if Rita was the writer of the beach episode, then they certainly came back to one particular breadcrumb. Um, you remember what Goro was saying to Hiro as they were walking up that mountain trail? Oh, yes, uh, yes, 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 yes. So he's like, uh-huh. like, I put it in here, and I'm coming back, and I'm going to make something of it, goddammit. Yeah, that's true. Uh, they they really went all in with that, which I'm glad they did because we're going to now transition to talking about the episode itself. Uh, I think I've needed a Goro episode for a little while. <laughs> I, I thought that his voice was kind of... Um, absent and i didn't feel like we were really getting a good feel for his own point of view and so when the episode starts and goro is um monologuing i I was happy Uh, i know you have different feelings about how the episode started though i I didn't hate it for this i just found it funny but (laughs) the the opening music uh, for this episode it made me think it was like a soap opera i thought i was watching some sort of like you know Tea dramas. Well, technically, we are. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, it felt like listening to what you'd get after you come back from the commercials into an episode of Saved by the Bell. <laughs> Just <laughs> God. Uh, I didn't even remember, and then I went back and and watched it and laughed a lot because yeah. it is. Uh, I don't know if dramatic is the right word, but you feel like they're underscoring something incredibly important, like you know. <laughs> I don't know. I think it does an okay job at least communicating this, uh, or helping communicate this feeling of isolation that Goro feels in some ways. Yeah. No, it it was fine for what it was, but I couldn't help but just have a quick chuckle and thought to myself, maybe I should substitute... Oh, it was funny. It was super funny. I I thought to myself, what would it sound like if I substituted the Seinfeld theme in over it? (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. Just... (laughs) That would have been terrible. That would have been great. Great and terrible. <laughs> All in one. So, yes, at the beginning of this episode, we have Goro talking about uh, Ichigo and how he feels about her. And you kind of get the sense that, you know, so he's watching her, of course, through the window, talk to Ikuno, I believe. And then the presents come, which we'll get to in just a second. Uh, and he's still kind of talking. You just kind of get the feeling that Goro is always, always like standing off to himself. Or doesn't really feel like uh, the heartbeat of the group, like in the middle, you know, rolling around, having fun, whatever. He's just like kind of standoffish, kind of isolated. Hmm. Um, at least that's the feeling, the feelings that that scene gave me. And then those were echoed in a scene that we will talk about later. A flashback. Yeah. He seems to want very much to um, stand on his own two feet. Yeah. Which, funnily enough, runs in contrast to... It, it's almost like a paradox. He very much, as we learn later, does want to, you know, stick up for himself, be self-reliant, be self-sufficient. But on top of that, there are two things that he obviously probably is acutely aware of and yet doesn't quite get the paradox in that, one, he's piloting a robot that it's quite made very clear especially this episode, does not work with a single pilot unless you're Zero Two because Zero Two's, you know, special. She yep. got that She got that feat when, you know, she sat on a character sheet that she could pilot a frag solo, you know, in a tiger form. 
She has the the special juice, the magic. Yeah, I, d- I don't think Delphinium was honestly designed with an all-set animal form. Like, I don't think it turns into a penguin or something like that, so... Oh, I wish it did. That would be superb. That would be great. That would be amazing, and now I'm actually really sad I thought of that. <laughs> maybe it's only the ladies that can solo pilot. Maybe, maybe the men can't, you know? Well... There's that, but I just get the impression, generally speaking, that the other Franks don't have alternate modes because they're not sure. They're not like you know the good, the really prototypes, cool special prototypes. <laughs> we painted this one red, and that's why it's superior. I mean, I've already talked about Strelizia being overpowered. Then again, the Franks are not exactly depicted consistently, as I'll complain about later. So hey, there we go. They do what the episode requires them to. Yay! You probably know super what I mean. robot shows. <laughs> Um, but the other thing I was going to say is that, yes, while he does want to, you know, be self-sufficient and self-reliant, he is also developing feelings for each that he's finally finding words for. Yeah, yeah, I think they've been there for a while, whether or not he's been aware of them. He's just kind of finding his own voice now to express them. So the very next frame uh, tells us that Papa and the, the Robo-Bishop's are lazy assholes who do not want to remember anyone's birthday (laughs) so they have created a law that says every plantation all the kids on it we will all celebrate their birthdays at once and there's no mention of birth in it it's just the the sort of law of the land is that every year one day out of that year the kids get to ask papa for shit they want and papa sends it to them with a not computer generated note about how how <laughs> amazing that they are and how like you know their work is inspiring people and uh creating hope for a better future and yada 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 yeah I, that note originally had the like glories astotska at the bottom but i think <laughs> they revised that out they were smart they <laughs> yeah they covered their tracks minimally yeah i mean okay it is christmas in july as well so there is that you know i mean Papa, Sansa, same thing. Oh my Sim- god. Yeah. There you go. I'm, I'm surprised, like, you know, that, that whatever his name is, the guy with barely any hair whose name I keep forgetting, you know, Nana's, like, colleague. Bad colleague. cop son. Bad, bad I cop I like to son. call him bad cop son. I, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't bring them in in a sack that was wearing a Santa outfit and one of those, like, beers that you could wear with, like, a little drawstring. <laughs> and just, like, never smiled. Just kept his totally serious face and demeanor yeah. the entire time. Just, like... Presento, and yeah. just drop the bag. Well, I got what I wanted. I got an episode that was actually worthwhile to watch and had a reasonably hey. decent amount of story and character development to it. Who'd have thought, eh? Well, speaking of character development, we find out that Ichigo still loves her stuffed animals. Goro teases her. Goro in no position to tease anyone who's because he's gotten a fishing line. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't realize. All the free time you have to become a professional angler. Oh, well, he's fishing. For, he's fishing really hard. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, oh, he'd like to. He'd like to. Wants to re- wants to reel her in. Uh, no. Well, he's that one's gonna break his line. I think, unfortunately. But he's teasing her about still wanting stuffed animals. But this is Ichigo. This is her personality. Where where she is a a tough, no nonsense leader. She is very capable. Uh, and this is the air she puts off, but when she is in her safe space and comfort zone, she can still very much be, uh, you know, a child at heart. 
which is which is kind of cool. Yeah, she ends up um, taking the stuffed animal to bed with her. So she source of comfort, mm-hmm. you know. Like she has yes. a softer she has a softer side underneath the times when she can be abrasive. And when I say abrasive, I mean like in the sense that a military leader would want to be. That leader element, by the way, will come up later in the conversation, which. This is one of the things I wish Frank did more often is that you set up things that happened previously and then you actually, you know, call back on them, even if they're just minor brief things. Like, I know. Brief bursts of continuity are so welcome in shows like this. Yep. Like, I mean, I've been complaining for ages, like, you know, about things not being set up and not utilized, like what happened with the coiludes. The fucking coiludes. <laughs> no, still. Well, that's what Meat Street got delivered for his Christmas present. <laughs> It was, it was a pin, but it was only superficially a pin. It was like the, it was like the fucking shaving cream in Jurassic Park. You pop open that <laughs> pin and quaaludes come spilling out. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. I don't think Mister Wesley lies a dialogue in this episode either. Probably no, <laughs> no. Ah oh, well, he just looks down at his pin, and I like to imagine that he's really disappointed. <laughs> They're like. What do we get Mitsuru? His ass is boring as shit. <laughs> give him a pen! Alright, sure. A papa pen. Didn't even give him anything to write on with, though. What's he gonna do? Just draw on his hands. <laughs> I'll just rig up some way to inject himself with it, with the pen tip. He's gonna write Chlorophytum's, um, you know, user instructions on post it notes and stick it in the inside of his cockpit. The cl- Clearly, he's a. Uh, Got the all the the personality and creativity of a budding writer. So let's give him a pin. <laughs> well, so after the uh, OP is uh, the scene that you were talking about when Hiro gives Zero Two her own present because the reason we're even told about all this and get this exposition was that uh, Zero Two didn't get a present. In fact, she doesn't even know what the hell's going on, which... Sort of tells you she's never really spent too much time hmm. among the the kids on a plantation. But Hiro says, "Yeah, I didn't think it was right that she didn't get one." So my part, my old partner's in a coma, and this is her thing. I so you oh my god, the blase way he says that it felt really weird. This belonged to a girl named Naomi. She's not important anymore. It's like she's dead. It still belongs to her. <laughs> she's still alive, and it's hers. <laughs> Okay, maybe I take it back. Constituency is a bad thing. <laughs> Fuck my life. Okay, that's my that's minor, that's minor. But like that when he gave her the mirror, I was like, oh hero. I get where you're going with this. I really genuinely do. But you do have a couple of hints here that Zero Two is, you know, maybe not quite entirely sure of her own humanity here. So you're going to give her something that every time she looks at it will remind her of that? I mean, okay, that's asking a lot of him to read into that. That maybe is a bit unfair of me to expect him to have the awareness, you know, for that. Um, but <laughs> just thought, wow, this is on the nose. I'm willing to bet you that mirror is going to get broken at some point. Presumably in a fit of rage Sigh. in which Zero Two, like, you know, smashes it around after Hero says something stupid. I, you know, that she thinks she's a monster. I, I'm calling it. I, I can see it in the distance. You think we'll have, like, a shot of her face in the broken glass? Yes. I think so, too. This is not even, like... <sighs> I'm I'm sorry, Doc, but, like, you <laughs> just... <laughs> Why do you just buy your Amazon's Alexa or something like that? <laughs> it would have been so much easier. 
I, I suppose it's nice if she doesn't have a mirror, but just the, regardless of the fact that it was a mirror, the the part that just fucking bothered me was that it was it's Naomi's mirror. Mm. It's Naomi's mi- what? What are you? Ah. You, you know, you know. I've just realized if he did want to give uh, Zero Two something that technically didn't belong to him anymore, there was that you know upstairs dormitory belonging to the previous group. Well, it's even worse, maybe because they are dead. Well, okay, I suppose. That's I got true. you a dress. It's belonged to a dead person. Give it a teddy bear or something. Look, I I don't know, but I'm just get saying, a like, job. Get a job, you lazy motherfucker. Earn some money and buy her something. Wait a minute, we don't even know how all that shit works in this world, so whatever. He should have just got her a giant bathing pool of, like, you know, maple syrup. Because she loves that shit. I agree. That's That would have been, yes, that's it. So Ichiko is watching this, and Goro stumbles upon her, and she uh, drags him into her, her peeping... Uh, yeah. her spying and like it's written all over her face that she is jealous yeah of, uh zero two she really desperately wants hero's affection and wants him to look at her and care about her the way he does zero two and goro is not an idiot no I mean, he can just look at her and he knows yeah i not to mention that all of the presents the, the kids have got here have been from papa who's some guy you know he is yes. he is Santa Claus, basically. Guy, comma, some. But the present that Zero Two gets is from Hero. It's a gift from that once another, and that ties into what happens a little bit later with some backstory we learn. I wish he'd rob another girl's grave for me. Oh. So, like, post-showers, uh, Goro is waiting for Hero in his room and teases him about the situation, and then basically, just matter-of-factly, says what he's feeling. Like, confesses that he loves Ichigo. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, we're talking about love, and I think it sort of means that someone's really special to you, and if that's what it is, then I love Ichigo. And she doesn't feel that way about me, though. She feels that way about you, and she wants you to feel that way about her. She wants you to reciprocate. Yeah. And that... now I'm going to sleep. Good night. I, I actually really like this. I, I, I mean, you want to know why I like this? Because... This society that these kids are in, this, you know, constructed, almost like, you know, nursery that they're being put in. Mm -hmm. None of the things that we have gone through, like, you know, the whole media thing, you know, of boys and girls, you know, relationships, all the, you know, social norms and standards that you get when you go through high school, etc. that make it, you know, difficult for men to talk about their feelings, for example... It actually feels very accurate to how they would, you know, like, oh, I love her, but I don't know what it is, so I can speak about it very matter-of-factly. I felt it, I thought it felt really appropriate for the upbringing that we had hinted about so far. Yeah, I I agree. And, I mean, that's, he has a very straightforward personality, right? And I wish that other people, (laughs) I wish other people did, but that's, that's asking a lot from teenagers, I think. Oh, from people in general, in my opinion. From people in general, sure. I mean, I'm guilty of that, so hey, there we go. But he, yeah, he seems like, um, I, I think this episode did a lot to make him feel less boring and more like, okay, there's a lot, there's stuff going on with him. He's just very matter of fact and down to earth. He's actually a character now. Yeah. He didn't really do anything previously apart from small bits which they allude to in this episode, but the spits that happened previously were about Ichigo. 
He just made himself complicit in the crime of techno cancer. <laughs> I'm I'm so mad that that's I don't, I don't oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> he knew he was an accessory. He did nothing. Well, speaking of accessories though, um <laughs> um the, like Goro mentions, you know, about right. about kissing. <clears throat> and he says, you know, like that's the thing that you do with someone you love. And Hero has a reaction here, and although of course we don't get any monologue or him saying it, because while he is stupid, he's not that stupid, or maybe he's so stupid that he doesn't make, catch the connection. Because he has kissed Ichigo, remember? And can you imagine what poor Goro must have would have thought if he'd have found that out there and then? Mm. I mean, these guys are keeping secrets from each other, although I just question the show's willingness to, you know, develop that into something meaningful. I mean, mm-hmm. the techno-cancer thing is now a, a, a thing of the past, which is stupid and i hate it so <laughs> I'm, not feel, I'm not feeling i'm not feeling particularly eloquent when it comes to the you know the fact that you lampshade something like that so hard and then have it mean nothing nothing at all yeah we've we've spoken of this speaking of things being in the past our discussion of this so i i think we can skip to the battle or at least the the briefing right where um they say hey Time for another battle. This one's a long way away, though. So you got plenty of fuel and plenty of time to prep. Oh, too bad they didn't give the fuel to the cookie cutter kids in, uh, you know, episode six. Oh, my God. Right, I'm, I'm just going to lay out here right now. Some stuff happens in this episode that completely contradicts what's happened in previous episodes as far as the robot battles go. Now, this is minor nitpicky stuff that doesn't really matter because I'm at least grateful we get good character things in it. But... I don't feel it's a bit much to ask that you at least be consistent with your rules and your world building here, especially when it comes to how the robots work. Because sometimes what the robot seems to be capable of is just what the episode demands of them, as opposed to, you know, making sense. Hey, the Minofsky particle effect, man. <laughs> I, I don't know what that is, I'm afraid. But I'm at least be educated. Oh, it's just the, it's the, like, hand-wavy explanation in Gundam that makes the Gundams able to do amazing things. This is a... In the Universal Century Gundam, this doesn't apply to things like Wing or Double O, in which they. You're thinking of Techno Babble. Yep. Yep. There you yep. Go. It does the things that we need to do at the right time, even though mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, it's just a very like a very surface level device, right? They've given a name to the catch-all ability, right? It, it's you know what? Let's never mind. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Um. So they go to the battle, right? And uh, Zorame is dumbass. Uh, jumps ahead of everyone. Oh, this, you know, before we even get to the battle, like when we, when I saw the Klaxosaur come out of the cloud, I'm like, we're free for free now for dumb-looking Klaxosaurs because this <laughs> is this is Cthulhu. <laughs> it's literally Cthulhu. It's an old one in Klaxosaur form. It's a giant brainy mass with tentacles. <laughs> I, which I'd be fine. I'd be fine with if it looked cooler, but it d- just doesn't. It just looks like <laughs> Nicolamp from Half Life was a more intimidating final boss than this piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and you were, and all you did in that boss fight was hit with a crowbar. <laughs> God's sake! And again, like I just ask with the visual design, just <laughs> moving on. Moving on. I mean, on. at least. 
at least the GameCube like turned into something rad looking. Like I really liked the what it transformed into. Mm. And the, you know, Norelco three-headed beard trimmer was sort of interesting. Like this is the least interesting one by far to me. Why are they even called Klaxosaurs come to think of it? Because that's like dinosaur. Yeah, that implies a certain shape. Yeah, so it's a reptilian like shape. Like, mm-hmm. But the they just what they are. I, I, I don't know. The, the label seems a bit disingenuous. I mean, the very first one we saw in episode one was a giant like mm-hmm. T-Rex thing. So it made sense. Uh, the rest of these are just eh. Clearly Papa was a small infant when he named them. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, but this stupid looking enemy is attacked by Zorame and Miku. And we get the feeling Zorame is leading the charge because he's screaming a lot. Yeah. And he jumps up into the thing to cut the tentacles up with his wolverine claws. And uh, that ends up going poorly uh, because he gets grabbed and they're about to be uh, exploded. Yes, the Klaxosaur explodes. Yeah, they, they... Well, he gets grabbed and thrown down, but then they stand up again. They're like, oh, the core is right there. And Goro is just like in slow motion, just like, no. Zoramaze is running up and punctures the core and is about to get blown up. But Goro is very light of foot and a brain. And well, that didn't sound right. By that I mean he's thinking quickly. Uh grabs Zorame and Minku's robot, mm-hmm. uh, kicks it out of the way, ejects Ichigo from the cockpit, and then takes the explosion himself, by which we don't. We really get to see like what what happened. Was he somehow got absorbed into the thing? Yeah, the way this is framed, by the way, is it looks like that Delphinium is completely destroyed, and then it cuts to um, Goro inside the cockpit. And I I had a fake out on this. I thought he's in a coma or he's just playing play dead. Mm. I, the way this is framed suggests it was something more than just simply him waking up because. I again have to remind myself of the problem with Strelizia, where I was like, okay, there's no internal cockpit damage. You know, this mm-hmm. obviously wasn't that big of a deal. Um, it, it really wasn't, by the way, because it turns out Delphinium is completely unharmed, despite the fact that Klaxosaur detonates with enough force to, you know, as uh, you know, Bruce Willis once said, put Arnold Schwarzenegger into orbit. I mean, that explosion was not small, and Delphinium is not even scratched. It's just caught inside the Klaxosaur now. Uh, cool, whatever, great. So... Yeah, that happened. <laughs> uh, but in doing so, um, we learn after a couple... Because he gets a message from Hero, and I was like, is this point where Hero's, like, talking to him in the coma, you know, like... He's yeah. asked- <laughs> don't don't freak out, buddy. But you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> I sort of half expected Hero to say something like that. There's something about this scene but the way and the way this is all constructed, though, that I actually really like, because it felt quite tense, even though certain elements could have, you know, again, been visually uh brought in to help accentuate this you know i'd have preferred if delphidium's inside was you know not still entirely pristine i mean the most tension we get out of the visuals from what's happening in the cockpit when goro's alone is that you know he's running out of battery way great you know no smoke no fire no cracks nothing again like are the franks even capable of being destroyed at this point i i 
I just want the visual design to try and marry up a little bit with what they're trying to build. Because the music with this is really good. The music when Goro is on his own is really tense. Like it's got it that is. low som- somber mood and it really feels like he's done for. And it, and it helps you feel a little claustrophobic uh, because there's no, um, he doesn't see anything in the cockpit. You just see the small enclosure. And yeah. when Hero is talking to him, it could be anything. Like he could say anything. Like I was joking about Hero saying, you know, you're dead, but like it could, it could, <laughs> you just had no idea because you're kind of in his position where you're learning everything and there's no visual information being communicated to you. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, the cockpit is low lit as well because it's an emergency power. So mm-hmm. this has reminded me of a lot of stuff that you see in classic Thunderbirds where like, you know, people be trapped inside vehicles or whatever with a ticking clock before they, you know, were killed or died. Um, it felt very much like that. It evokes that sense of dread. And I was quite impressed by it, even though, again, it could have been done better, but still take what you can get. So back at the at the base, once they've filled in Goro of the situation, right? Like you're you're inside. Don't worry, buddy. We're gonna get you out. Don't do anything crazy. They, uh, well, by they I mean Ichigo and Miku uh, have a bit of a fight. Yes, Miku actually calls her out on her previous, you know, lapses of mm. yeah. When when she thought uh, Hero had had died and gotten smashed by the GameCube bull. And she was weeping and to- totally fell out of it. And Goro had to had to bring her back. And she's saying, look, like, clearly he's always looking out for you. You don't need to talk about how he can't do anything on his own. He's always watching your ass and covering for you. I bet it's really difficult for him to have a partner like you. And in some respects, I can't disagree with Miku's point of view. Stupid as that battle was in episode six, Goro was right. You know, if Hero is dead or not. We've got to focus on our own survival. He was the one with his head in the game, and she was distracted. And it's kind of telling, actually, that, you know, Garo is the one who's got his own feelings to deal with towards Ichigo, but he's actually keeping them in check. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they do balance each other out in a way. Like, she's yeah. very, very intense, and he's very placid. Yeah. Almost like it was done intentionally. Hmm. Hey! Hmm. 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 But yeah. whenever... Whenever Miku starts lighting into Ichigo, there's two different scenes of uh, Zorame slinking away and he's making the best face. Yeah, he knows. He knows to duck and cover at that point. <sighs> it's so funny. And I don't know if um if it's the musician doing sounds or Zorame's Seiyu making sounds, but he's really making some funny low sounds as the character kind of um, shuffles off screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, did we mention the flashback to the nursery? We have not. I don't remember if that's because we haven't got there yet or because we just haven't mentioned it, but we could talk about that now. Yeah. So we actually do get some insight into uh, the kid's childhood. Now, we had more of that previously, of course, with Hero, you know, sitting on his throne of pillows and naming everyone. Fucking anime Jesus. Still in this episode, anime Jesus, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Just like walks into the middle of a tense situation of young children and then everyone just starts smiling and laughing. Yeah. And he looks over his shoulder like, Haha, I solved all your problems. Aren't I special? No, you're special, all right. And from that moment on, I fell in love with Hero. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, there's two flashback scenes. The first one is um, Goro recognizing when he's, you know, much younger with Ichigo in the nursery that he has some sort of, like, feelings for her. I think that these feelings obviously were not 
maybe romantic at that age, but certainly develops over time, but a very strong bond with her. And he tries to make her a hair clip, um, the distinctive hair clip that Ichigo has always had. Uh, But it turns out that Hiro, I don't know how, sorry, beat him to the punch on this. Because he designs the exact same one. And the only way I can reconcile in my head is that he saw Goro was doing it and decided to do it first. I would put it past him. I don't. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there are details left out that we don't know, but... Yeah. Uh, small bits that we learn in the nursery scenes as well is that there are a lot more kids than just the plantation kids. In fact, we don't see anyone from the Plantation 13 group apart from Hiro, Goro, and Ichigo. So there's right. no there's no young Zorame. God, what a pest he would have been <laughs> as a child. Um, Fight there's... me now. Let's see who's the strongest. Can you imagine what young Mitsuru would be like? Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, he'd just be hassling people for not following the instructions. Mm. And he'd, he'd be popping, you know, um, oh! it? <laughs> Willy, Willy, Willy Wonka's nerds. <laughs> that would be his nascent drug problem. <laughs> hey, hey, psst, come here, you got any puffs? Hook me up with some of them puffs. <laughs> Who's got a pest dispenser? A <laughs> pest dispenser, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we see a lot of kids uh, in this nursery. Now, Granted, we don't know if the nursery is specific to Plantation 13 or if it's elsewhere, but I read into it maybe perhaps a little too much that, you know, it was quite telling how those kids weren't around anymore. Like, none of the kids that we see in this episode, apart from our three heroes, are in, of mm-hmm. course, in the present day. Uh, we do see, for example, adults who, for some reason, are in containment suits. I don't know why. I mean, children are icky and all that, but come on, guys. <laughs> uh, but they're, like, you know, monitoring them on iPads. So obviously, this is, you know... More and aren't there yeah. one or two like in the room at some point like it it looks like one of the moms is coming to pick them up or something but right before hero shows up we don't ever see the face of of this person but you see kind of like a like a coral colored apron hmm. uh and and some long hair of the adult like but yeah you don't really see too much more they're in the in the enclosure with the children yeah and yeah don't know anything about it so we get more credence to the ongoing idea of, you know, that this is probably test tube babies, you know, grown in vats kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. we still don't really know. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with Will Billy taking a backseat to an actual character-focused episode, which we do have now, which is welcome. So, you know, I'll roll with it. But because of that, we, you know, learn basically that Goro's kind of settled for, you know, being the third wheel in this non-functional relationship because, well... Much as Goro, like, you know, might pine after Ichigo and finally realize that Ichigo still pines after Hiro, and, well, he's only got two things on his mind. Zero two things, I mean to say. Yes, yes. And he, like, in the beginning of the episode, he says he's cool with the way things are. Like, he, he knows everything, but he's cool. That was the statement that Kuno made as well, by the way, previously. She said she was happy with the way things as they were. Right, yes, uh, regarding the boys and the girls' separation. <laughs> yeah. The short-lived gender-exclusive mm-hmm. uh, deal, but so the kids all are actually now back, of course, at base. And Hero, of course, has already contacted Garo and laid out what's going on. The situation is thus: the Klaxosaur is still en route uh, to the plantation. Since we now know that it's it's gonna it'll blow up if you know it gets too close. Yeah, they're gonna uh, fire on it. Uh, I have a question: um, if the plantation was always equipped with weaponry, why didn't they use it in episode <laughs> six? <laughs> Why did they use them to begin with in this fight? Why didn't they just wait until, you know, Cthulhu crossed the imaginary longitude line and then blow it the fuck up? 
maybe I guess it's training. Maybe they need to train for when they aren't when there are no more options. But still, but still. Well, I mean, uh, Papa's like letter to them earlier on in the episode said, "Congratulations for all your accomplishments." And I was just like, "Yeah." <laughs> That's how you could tell that was some male nerd shit right there. And let's list them all for for um, uh, for Kokoro and what's his name? I can't Futoshi. remember. Futoshi. Uh, falling over. Yeah. Tripping, tripping over your own feet. Um, firing and missing. And rolling around. That's it. That's your accomplishment list. Congratulations. It's, you know, Absolute good job. Failure. Absolute failures. So, as this was unfolding, though, like, um, something we need to mention as well is that because um, Ichigo has been ejected uh, by Goro, like, Goro just hit the bailout button, which is... Mm-hmm. I have a question, like, okay, if you need to get uh, pilots out of the Franks, good thing there is an ejection system. Why didn't it eject him as well? Because a man... Goes down with the ship. Yes. Uh, Goro is planning on going down with the ship quite literally, by the way. Um, there is a ticking clock here, not just be- of the Klaxos or getting to the plantation, but there is also the fact that because Ichigo is not there, um, this is one of the only bits of insight we get into why it's necessary to have the setup they do in the Franks. Uh, Franks cannot utilize its magma energy supply without a pistol in place, in other words, a lady. Mm-hmm. Now, again, don't have any idea why this is. Just up, just don't worry about it. But this includes everything, including, like, you know, sustained life support, because there's only a limited mm. amount of air. Mm-hmm. That, I'm okay with that, though. I don't mind I don't mind this so much, because, you know, this is another layer of tension on top of the tension of the Klaxosaur against that point. Because once it actually makes it to the plantation, if they fire it, then it's just going to blow up and nuke the place anyway. So they, there is a time limit on this. But what I am genuinely surprised this, the episode did not do, so at least, you know, give the kids an idea that maybe the adults don't have their best interests in mind, is that... We do learn later that Delphinium has a self-destructs. So, obviously, Goro, you know, is going to wait until the last minute, and he's going to... Somewhere, by the way, like, Hiroyoi sat up in bed when you said that. (laughs) (laughs) What? I can self-destruct a robot? Did someone... Did I just imagine that someone talking about that? Oh, my God. Don't talk to me about Gundam Wing self-destructs. I'll never forget that one where he blew the... I don't remember. Was it... It was one of the five pricks. It was one of those five pricks. He blows up his Gundam. um, It... Destroys everything in space for ages, but he's completely unscathed. Like not even a single mark on his suit. <laughs> that I was screaming at it at that point. At that point, I knew I could not take the show seriously anymore, despite the fact they wanted to say so. But that's a different show. But in this one, so Goro does does have a self destructs, and he's going to use it later. What I was genuinely surprised that the adults didn't say was, "We're going to blow up Delphinium remotely." Mm. That would seem to be the more efficient option, and then you could have, you know, had it be a hint for the kids that maybe the adults don't have their best interests in mind. After all, we just literally had a scene of, you know, Papa giving them gifts with the male murdering and all that, which we as the audience could read into as a bit suspect, but that's a different thing. I thought it would have been a neat contrast if that's something they would have done where they said, okay, we're going to try and get Goro out, but if absolutely necessary, we're going to blow up Delphinium remotely and take the Klaxosaur out, because... If Delphinium explodes inside the Klaxosaur, then the whole thing goes up, of course. Mm-hmm. That would have been way better than the plantation firing. I don't know. I, first draft problems, you've heard me bag John about before. Yep, yep, moving, yep. moving on. I guess they kind of d- do that, although, I mean, not really, not as well as you just outlined. When no. you know, Bad Copson says the mission priority is to eliminate the Klaxosaur rather than rescuing Goro. 
which it is because more people will die. That's the pragmatic truth of it. And that hits hits uh, Ichigo really hard, mm-hmm. uh, and she wants to go right away to rescue her partner, and Hiro wants to go rescue his best buddy, which presumably is what prompts Zero Two to suggest the course of action of going inside of the thing through its exhaust port on top of its head mm-hmm. which is what they're gonna do but before that Ichigo radios into Goro and sort of berates him like you stupid 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 like why did you go get yourself into this like I'm so worried about you you try to do everything by yourself baka 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 after all this would have happened if he had consulted with her before deciding to bail Zarame out well Yes. Takes two to tango in the Franks, but it's just more than just simply being two, you know, people working the machine. We talk about decisions, you know, and trusting people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Correct. And so, and she tells him, the line that stuck out to me is like, why don't you lean on me a little? Yes. And that, that hits him because that was what she was trying to tell him all those years ago in the nursery when he was picking fights in order to, like... Make people hate him. Yeah, he wanted his own space. He wanted to be alone, which again furthered. Um, I think, which is what furthered my um, thinking of of his character as kind of a lonesome character, as a like watching from the sidelines type, rather than an active member of kind of the group and and the emotional dynamic and what's happening and being in the thick of it. Um, because ever, ever since he was a kid, he want like he wanted his own his own place, his own space. And he just couldn't get it by himself, and Ichigo had to help him win those fights. Ichigo's a badass! Yes, yes, exactly. Like, Goro can't fight these kids off on his own, but even with Ichigo, they're still outnumbered, and she helps knock the every shit out of him. I mean, I previously, if I was going to put odds on a, you know, Ichigo 0-2 fight, I would have put 0-2 as the absolute uncontested winner. Now I'm not quite so sure. Still think it's significantly in Zero Two's favor, but don't count Ichigo out. That that girl's got clout. She's got experience, you know. She's got the fights, uh, the notches on her belt, so to speak. Although Zero Two, of course, has the height, weight, and reach advantage, and the pure athleticism advantage, pre, pre uh, presumably, because we've yes. seen her do all sorts of flips. We've not seen Ichigo do likewise. So I would also say still the betting favorite is 0-2, although the odds are not quite as stacked. Yep. Um, speaking of speaking of fighting, uh, Ichigo's going to fight to save her man. And here's the plan. She needs to get back inside Delphinium. And so they're going to use the exhaust port, you know, and shoot two proton torpedoes. That Wait, sorry, wrong scripts. Um, oh, God, yes. The exa- that's exactly... How can you hear the phrase in a science fiction show, exhaust port, and not think about, you know, let go, Lou. Stretch out with your feelings. I am so mad that um, at no point does Hero say to, you know... Oh, sorry, does each go say to Hero, stay on target? <laughs> By the way, small but nice scene is um, Zero Two has consistently throughout the show been a pragmatic, you know, I'm just going to tell it as it is and I don't care, you know, if you find it shocking that I'm honest about your chances of survival. So she's very frank about the, you know, the fact this klaxon... I see what you did there. I've done that before and I'm going to keep doing it. Sorry, (laughs) folks. She even did it this episode, by the way. Yeah. Before they rescued Goro, she was like, well, looks like uh, the state of things on this plantation is we're all going to die. Yeah. 
there's something very like normally you'd think that that would be delivered with hysterics, but Zero Two delivers it so plainly and so coldly that you can't help but think, no, she's actually right. She's just being mm-hmm. honest about it. She doesn't have a sense of subtlety about this, which is fair. She knows. She she is very much the soldier of the group more than any of them actually are. Like you might want to think of Ichigo as a as a leader and you know as having a military mind, but it's Zero Two who's got the cold pragmatism necessary for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that she says that you know that he's going to die, and they're going to deliver Ichigo to the exhaust port into the hand Struzzi's hand, and they, there's actually a brief conversation between Ichigo and Zero Two where you know she Ichigo says to her, "I believe you could do this." Yeah, yeah. She wasn't ready for that. <laughs> no. Zero Two was quite taken aback by that. I mean, I don't know if that was because she was thinking of their previous history where Ichigo, like, you know, cold slaps her because Ichigo, you know, gives no shits. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Jesus Christ, I wouldn't take Zero Two on on my best day. <laughs> so, yeah, but I really liked that. That was that was a nice, a nice little moment. Yeah, and she says, like, I don't dislike this. I think... <laughs> and the, the Mecca smiles. <laughs> Oh, so good. That was really nice. I appreciated that a lot as well. Yeah. So, and then when they launch Ichigo into this exhaust port, something happens, which I just thought, could could we not have done better here? That, isn't that the entire problem that we have with this show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From an ideas and a design perspective, like... When she dives into the port, her face is like there's like a like a pillow, like a like a parachute pillow thing that just like covers up her entire face. Yeah. And it looks ridiculous. It looks super stupid. It does. And can I like the whole point of science fiction media is to make technology that we will all have to come to grips with and use in the future look cool. All right. This is a fictional world. You can make it look cool. It doesn't all have to be super pragmatic and and functional. But it looks dumb. It looks so stupid. Uh, also, it would kill her because it looks like it's smothering her to death. Just like yeah. covering up her whole face. Just couch cushion. Yeah. I've got a few things I want to say about this as well. To respond firstly to your point, there's a very good reason that they don't make it so that her parasite suit also serves as like, you know... A fully, you know, diving suit, you know, oxygen supply, because then you'd have the plot hole of Wives and Goro have that, mm-hmm. or anyone else for that matter. Next point I want to say, they make mention that, you know, the fuel that she has to swim through, because she does have to swim through the entirety of this Klaxosaur, and I, I mean, Ichigo, we learn in this episode, can not only, you know, take on five guys at once when she was a kid, but she also has a, a fucking Olympian level of swimming stamina and, you know, lung capacity. But they they say that, you know, this fuel can burn through parasite suits. And well, we as we know, that's happened before, annoyingly. Mm-hmm. And indeed, her parasite suit does get burned, but she's mostly unharmed. Like, I would have thought this thing would have melted us to the bone. Don't think too hard about all this. As, uh, <laughs> yeah, as, German, as German tells the player character in Bloodborne, don't think too hard about all this. Yeah. Oh, also, speaking of thinking too hard, one other thing that I still can't get over. So, okay, Klaxosaurs can ejaculate on Franks's and then the acid <laughs> will, you know, slip through. But the fact that, you know, Delphinium is completely submerged in fluid and it doesn't leak through at any point, apart from when Ichigo does get into the cockpit, briefly, 
I'm like, oh come on. But, well, okay, you could be you could be fair. You could say maybe they put more rivets in this time. You know, they sealed up the holes after the last unfortunate foul up. Like, oh, we better fix that design flaw, haven't we? <laughs> Upgrade the firmware. <laughs> God, God damn it, guys. These are all minor nitpicks, so like you know, I, I I find these funny more than I find them annoying. They don't actively impede the story; like they're they're necessary things to be part. They they could have been done better, as you've rightly pointed out there, Doc. And I do agree with you about the visual design of that you know like breathing helmet that she's got for a parasite. It looks like how do I put this gently? It looks like an anus. It looks like <laughs> it looks like a sphincter. <laughs> It looks like a butthole. <laughs> it looks like when I was a little kid and took the uh, the cushion off of a bar stool and was just like, oh, I am Pyromar. <laughs> Put it on my face, you know? That's what it looks like. It looks super dumb. It looks like something that you'd find on a coral reef that if you touched it, it would kill you because it's that poisonous. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, it was, it was pretty oh my silly. God. And I think it's some, like... When she's swimming through, I think we get some flashbacks here. Because in my notes, I have the following two sentences. Baby Goro was a mad baby. (laughs) And baby Hero was Jesus. Yeah, of course he was. Of course he was. We've talked about this, yeah. yeah, The great great peacemaker. Just, I mean, he's, he's like whatever chemical that the Joker used in the first Batman movie. (laughs) <laughs> like he just walks through the room and everyone's like, oh, hero, you are so wonderful. Joker gas, my God. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that. I did really like the conversation that followed once they were actually inside Delphinian. Oh, yes, yes, that was good. When we're not talking about the technical aspects, the actual character stuff is good. Mm hmm, mm hmm. They have a really solid heart to heart here. So, like, yeah, he regrets, you know, not telling her how he felt before now, which I'm glad that he got it out there and lived. Those are usually, confessions are usually things reserved for the dying. Imagine if he ejects her again. If she just got plugged, <laughs> if she got plugged in again, he just did it again. <laughs> I can't live with this. <laughs> oh shit, my hand no! slipped. <laughs> that would be an outtake on the DVD. <laughs> oh fuck. I didn't mean to push it a second time. Incredible. I thought I was closing the self-destruct panel. No. Uh, I, okay. Like, there's a... Maybe you can answer this one. Can can she hear what he's thinking in the cockpit? Uh, uh, does that technically count as an answer? I don't think that was very committal. Well, let, let's go back to my favorite scene of this show. Quote, air quotes. Okay. Uh, which is, you know, Hero saying that he's going deeper inside Zero Two. Yep, yep. Insert squelching noise here. I'm guessing that there is meant to be some sort of psychoflexis connection between Frank's pilots when they get going. So that's my guess. Okay, because... I, I don't he's, know. He's just not saying anything and he's thinking a lot about how she makes him feel and... Her smile and his smile and how she is kind of what is helping drive him. And he's had his hand outstretched for a few seconds, even as he continues to think all these things. And then she says, quit being gross. Oh, And I don't understand it because she's not reacting to his hand because it's just an outstretched hand, first of all. No, she's... 
I think that she maybe is, without knowing it herself, like reacting to... How do I phrase this? I think that maybe she... He's saying Does he just things, have a huge he... erection suddenly? <laughs> and she's like, stop. I, d- I did the... Uh... Okay, no, the Frankses are not done by driving stick. <laughs> I think that maybe she got an inkling then of what Goro was saying is... And then also maybe saw a bit into the window of his heart there, perhaps. And maybe that's why she thought it was... Okay, yeah. They don't really communicate that very well, what's actually happening there. I did really disliked that. I'm I'm fine with it. I I didn't mind it because I think, again, we have to deal with these, the fact that these characters are not equipped to properly articulate this kind of stuff emotionally. I mean, hell, you could take the one takeaway lesson from Frank's is, you know, that no one's equipped to do that. Not people in the real world, though. I'm fine. I'm fine with like, yeah, yeah. I'm fine with the feelings he has, and with her hearing them. What I'm not fine with, what what bothers me, is that the show does what I feel is a poor job of letting us, the audience, know that she can sort of either hear him in full or understand to some degree what he's feeling. Like I had no fucking idea, and suddenly she's like, "Quit being gross, man." I'm like, "What?" What? Why did? Why did she? He's just thinking. I don't think. I don't think it maybe is a physical thing. I think it's just her being embarrassed about his emotions. Oh no 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 no! Yeah yeah. I'm fi- like I said. I'm fine with her reacting that way. Um, at his emotions. But what I'm what I'm saying is like the show is not telling me how she's understanding him. This is true. The show is not saying it has at no point in my mind firmly established there's a psychic link or like the the lady can understand what the man is thinking or they both can like i just don't fucking know and it's, it was just so abrupt and i mean clearly the only conclusion i can draw or or i should i should walk that back the most logical conclusion i can draw is that she can the only other conclusion is that she had a delayed response to him outstretch like stretching out his hand to her which is just completely stupid there's no way that's it pass <laughs> there's there's no way that the people making this show are incompetent. There's absolutely no. <laughs> if this is a quiz show, I'll take the next one instead. I'll take the potluck Kagri. So, uh, what happens is the blonde kid from the end of episode six shows up. No, I'm just kidding. That remember that time when he just showed up at mm-hmm. the end and then didn't show up again. Except, well, they use it another one more scene, but it's been like three episodes and we've not heard his name even whispered. So yeah, they you know. I have a question. Again, this is another nitpicky one. If this entire Klaxosaur is fuel- filled with fuel, um, how come Delphinium saying off its jet boosters doesn't ignite the fuel? It's a special fuel. It's blue fuel. So you have to already have an explosion in the fuel. It, the flames themselves can't create a chemical reaction that would cause an explosion. That has oh. to happen independently on the fuel. <laughs> oh. Who knows? But they leave behind a backup battery pack, which they can blow up. Yeah, that's the extra fuel that they got earlier um, for the extended operations. That makes sense. The but the final scene was really nice, where again Goro and Ichigo have a, a nice moment together because she doesn't have her her hairpin, and he gives her another one. And I was so fucking sure he was not going to say anything when she said, "Oh, you found it for me. You picked it up." But thank God he, like, really learned the lesson 
that this all taught him and put it into practice. And he said, actually, no, it's one I made for you. And I was going to give it to you, but I didn't get to. So I'm glad I have it to give it to you now. Yeah. And they have a nice hug. Uh, Well, he says he loves her and she's flustered. That actually feels very accurate to how people Mm -hmm. react. I mean, again, we're dealing with kids who... They have no idea what this is. No, they have not the foggiest how any of this Less is of an idea work. than we did as kids. No, exactly. And that's terrifying as a concept. But I really enjoyed this conversation between the pair of them. I mean, generally speaking, apart from, you know, small bits of bobs and that thing that you mentioned, which I do agree with you is a bit silly, like does the, you know, don't be grossing. That could have been handled better. But my longstanding thinking, feeling about Frank's is that when it's thinking with its brain, it's good. It's actually quite good. Uh, episode 5 was a perfect example of that. When we've got character interactions, character drama, characters changing, you know, and learning uh, about their environment and learning about each other and themselves. When it focuses on that, this show is quite good. Also really good mystery, like, laid out in intriguing ways in Episode 5. But n- not really since then. I mean, there's there's been a few more mysteries presented but none presented quite so well as as episode five mm-hmm. but yes uh the other problem is that when frank thinks with what's between its legs that's when it gets insufferable for me personally and i'm glad that we've got another good episode i'm glad we've got i mean all the stuff surrounding this setup of having this contrivances necessary to have goro separate from ichigo and with his life at risk so that way he's forced to confront his own feelings and truly grow as a character I can put all that aside because there is character stuff at the core of it that is worthwhile to watch. Garo has actually now finally become someone worth paying attention to. Prior to this, he was just there. Like, you could have had Garo in Ichigo's Franks in Delphinium replaced with Johnny Cab from Total Recall, and it wouldn't have mattered. It would have been the same fucking thing to me. But <laughs> I'm glad that we've got this. Just a little more, you know, tidying up around the edges here and making this relevant to the grander picture would be more welcome. I have one other thing, though, I have to say, like, after the Klaxosaur blows up and leaves a crater, you know, Jesus, I mean, if, if you wanted to turn that into a skating park, like, you could get some serious <laughs> dirt on it. It's a Tony like, Hawk level. <laughs> it's ridiculous, that crater. Like, all the Franks are blown away. Delphinium looks like it's just been, you know, dropped out of orbit, like... Okay, so Delphinium can, you know, survive an explosion inside the Klaxosaur without a scratch. But when this one happens, suddenly it looks like, you know, it's been put through the ringer. I, I mean, I keep asking for, you know, battle damage and, you know, things to make it look like, you know, the actions matter and that these things can be damaged and, you know, are vulnerable and, you know, not entirely flawless machines. But this is just silly now. <laughs> God damn it. But yes, I really enjoyed that... Um, I really enjoyed that closing scene between the two of them. And other nice things about this episode, no unnecessary fan service whatsoever. Not a shred of it that I can remember. See, you cut away the fat folks, you cut away the unnecessary gristle, and you just leave the quality stuff in, and then it's enjoyable. Or alternatively, if you want a greasy burger, you can have that, but this show is not a greasy burger, or isn't marketed as such, at least to me. So there's that as well. But yeah, um... I was genuinely quite happy with this episode. I I mean, it really could, you know, still use more tying into, you know, the larger plot. It does now start to feel more and more like a serialized show rather than, you know, having a lot of connective tissue. That's a good point. That's a good point. This is, uh, yeah, this felt like another open and shut uh, yeah. thing. Despite, I mean, 
being about these long-standing characters and being, you know, tenuously tying back to conversations that were a couple of episodes prior. Yeah, I... Maybe maybe I'm just growing a little bit tired of that format, and that is why I'm a little down on this one this week. Hmm. Well, yeah, I, I can't fault you for that, Phil. I mean, I'm still, like, waiting for the show for the show's true like you know mysteries and worlds like start actually unraveling like it still feels to me like jj abrams has ghostwritten a little bit of this he's like but what about this God. thing here what about this thing here <laughs> speaking of star trek reboots as you did early on yeah bringing it back to jj abrams now to be fair abrams didn't write those he he made them look nice oh he just directed them right he he just directed them uh, the writing was the responsibility i think it was alex kurtzman and mark's Fuck face, whatever it was. <laughs> yep, that's his, that's on the birth certificate. It's true. Well, when you're that shit a writer, you don't deserve to have a second name, in my opinion. I'm Oof. sure that'll come back to haunt me someday. Oof. Yeah, I'm throwing that out there. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, God, can, can we just have, like, consistently good stuff? I mean, if Franks does actually just turn out to be, here's the characters going through situation of the week stuff, uh, like this, much the same as this. Like, imagine if we get an episode like this that's a Zorame episode, or a Kokoro episode. You know, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. If that's just the broad thrust of it for, like, everything up until the last six episodes when inevitably shit must hit the fan, then I actually would be alright with it. Franks would not have any real staying power be as a show in that case, and it certainly still has plenty to answer for as far as its failings go. <laughs> yeah. But I would be happy with it. I would be content. But it could also be so much more than that. I... Bleh. Bleh. Yeah. It totally could. Like, this episode, Shadon, terrified me. Why did it terrify you, dog? Tell me. Because my response to it, it's, so it's going to sound like, right, that, that I have only been watching it for, for the fan service, for the anime titty, as it were. I think you mean titty? Yeah, that's what I, did I not say that? I I misheard it as titty. Oh, did I give the hard T? Sorry, titty. Oh, you Um, gave it the hard T, all right. I, I I meant to give it the D. Oh, 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 man. Walked right into that one. <laughs> uh, so, like, I, which is, this is not true. I mean, that's, it's not why I came to the show in the first place, and it's not what I thought I was enjoying about it. You would be talking about it for nearly an hour plus every single time we talk about it if all you had to say was, I like them boobs. I think you're, I think your I think your opinions speak for themselves and that you are here for more than just that by a long shot. Well, here's here's what scared me though is because like you said most of that if not all of it was entirely stripped away in favor of them telling a story about Goro and I found myself not really caring all that much. Like mm. perhaps these characters are quite simple or perhaps uh the writing about characters that aren't quite so simple is itself simplistic and only kind of scratching at the surface uh, of of what they could do. For instance, okay, I feel like Ichigo was very underutilized this episode, and I think there's like there's a way she could be written which could be so much more fascinating. Like mm-hmm. there's things I want to. This is not necessarily pie in the sky. Like there's things that the show ha- things that have happened in the show and things that the show has said about her. That I would like more depth on, like that I would want to to know about. Like, okay, so she in the beginning of the show it was all about her writing hero off. It was all about her trying to cut away that part of her life, the hope she had for him, the hero worship, right? The the like 
blind devotion and following of him. She's trying to get that out. She's trying to say to him, like, you didn't pass the test. Like, you can't be part of this group. Like, you're not cut out for this. You can't do it. And, you know, Mitsuru is the one who's like, we all thought, you know, it was this, but it's really not. And we need to fucking wake up. And so, and, and she even, Ichigo even has like a moment of trying herself to bring him into the group and failing. Um, but here he is. Uh, Hiro is part of the group and a key part of the group. And he's right in the middle of everything. And it seems like her reaction to that is far less complicated than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just seems like she's like, oh, yay. My like wannabe boyfriend is here. And if no, like she's not really reckoning with like the things that she was going through and the things that she thought in the beginning about him, or at least it doesn't seem so to me. And yeah, I mean, I don't know, perhaps it's just Goro and Goro might not be my favorite, even though, like I said, I've wanted this on this is all everything on paper about this episode should appeal to me, but like none of it really hit home. None of it really struck a chord with me. Is that possibly because it's just not consistent with the show so far? Like, that we've gone from things like having the beach episode and the silly, goofy, you know, guys versus girls thing to just a straight-up character one? Maybe, but I loved episode five. I, I gave it five stars because I thought it was so well done. I did too, but then the problem I had with it is it didn't deliver on any of those things. Mm-hmm. That's the issue, yeah. I think, that we've got here in that we've got different... The show is different things depending on which episode you watch. <clears throat> Which is just like underscores everything you've been hearing about the problems with this being a co-production and the cohesion and consistency of thought and vision that are lacking in this production. Just because of the logistics, not because anyone's being an asshole or whatever. No. I mean, like, if I were to show this episode in a vacuum to someone and ask them to tell me what they thought the show was about, they would have not a single clue about, you know, all the silly elements that we've seen before. They would, I mean, some of it would make sense, of course, as you'd expect, because it wouldn't have like certain story beats. But mm-hmm. well, for a start, all of the stuff that happened with Hero previously, you know, being incapable of piloting a Franks is now no longer relevant. That's that's honestly kind of just <laughs> done now. It's done, isn't it? That's it. Like Hero, you know, piloting a Franks and be that being a big problem is now done. That was like the show's <laughs> right. arc for the first quarter. Yeah, but. Now it's not a thing, and even though there is plenty of potential for it to be developed into a, a thing further, like, it needed to have ended there. I suggested previously, what if we found out there was another part of the Zeros who had, who had the same ability that Hero has, and then you could develop it to be, you know, meaning something about relationships. Maybe Zero Two's previous partner in this, you know, alternate timeline version of Franks was a complete bastard to her, and that's where the contrast lies. Mm-hmm. But... It just seems like very scattershot. Like, they've got a dartboard of things they want to do. Beach episode, bump. Uh, Goro episode, bump. <laughs> Bathhouse episode, bump. Yeah. No, no. Ski vacation episode, bump. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. It's coming it, up. Yeah. The Christmas episode. <laughs> it's yeah. coming. I mean, I've seen I've seen plenty of anime that are so tightly scripted. Madoka. There you go. I mean, it's unfair to compare things to Madoka, but at the same time, I'm... Or even, like, a, a show that you wouldn't consider a 10 out of 10, like, Erased. Yes! Because ju- Just because of, you know, you might not be as satisfied with what happened in terms of the content, but, like, the scripting in that show is unbelievable. I was gripped right up until the, like, last three episodes of Erased, when the Steam kind of went out 
you know, from underneath it when the wind went out of the sails. Mm-hmm. I was wanting to watch every episode every week. I was like, I want to see what happens next. I mean, when I was watching Land of the Lustrous, I was like, holy balls, like, <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, with this show, I'm just, I, I don't know what I'm going to get next. It yeah. feels I feel like I'm watching an anime that is somehow produced by a gacha game. <laughs> you never know what you're gonna get. And this was know. you know, one of the higher rated episodes. I mean, funnily enough, this was like, you know, the four star draw. But uh <laughs> I don't think it's unreasonable for me to be expect a show to be consistent both in terms of what it wants to be and its overall quality from start to finish. Yeah, or or and and you're not even talking about like tonal shifts. Uh, that kind of consistency because there's a way there's a a gradual way to do all that to seed it and build it but like it seems like week to week it's kind of like it's a fish flopping around on the deck of a boat yeah what's i mean what's the narrative push now for the next episode that's another thing like so i think maybe i'm grown weary so three weeks now of of one-offs but also three weeks you know six seven eight and now nine really so maybe even four. Well, I guess we won't count six in this. So let's say seven, eight, nine of one-offs and uh, also the, the overall sort of plot of the show is in exactly the same place it was at the end of episode six. Yeah, we have a vague idea that, you know, the robo-bishops want to take Zero Two to the Grand Crevasse. Oh, I forgot, I forgot, yes. But that's just a nugget. That's a line of dialogue in yeah. three episodes. And uh, like, yeah, there's like hints. Yes, this is all like m- motivations and wantings and like lore. Like uh, we found a book. Like this is all good. But like it's just been a month and like is the war advancing? What's happening? Who's behind it? What is going on or what is happening in the big picture? Like I just have no fucking idea. And i kind of getting tired of waiting on learning yeah it's like dangling keys in front of a dog to keep it entertained it'll entertain it but it'll get bored eventually and that's the thing is the jingling they're not jingling a good enough object right i mean like some the fan service can can only go so far and for some people that might be enough but i was expecting like the robot fights to be a good key jangling and like bar like maybe one or two episodes like those have been really disappointing and yeah. for a trigger super robot show like for for someone who just adores Gurren Lagan and really kill a kill even though there's no robots is sort of scripted very much in a super robot style way in terms of the the conflicts like man there this one is just not engaging me at all like the robot stuff is really poor yeah the the main problem with it is that there's not enough of it yeah like i wouldn't even call the fight in this one a fight i know it has like zorame doing his thing because that's zorame and zorame's gonna zorame i'm gonna make that into a verb actually oh no i did a zorame <laughs> like if i if i do another guild gear tournament and i drop a game winning combo i'm gonna say whoops i did a zorame <laughs> this one is built around a fight and like Robot shows have like Evangelion a, a number of times will will build an entire episode around a fight. Like, wasn't there one where it's been too long since I've seen the show? But one of the pilots gets like trapped in a hole, or like there's like acidic goo being dripped on them from an eyeball or something. Like, and then they have to kind of make a plan to retrieve the other bot. Like, so there's similar episodes, but like they're just way more gripping. Like this one 
this one just was like super super weak man in terms of the robot fighting and the the tension and all that stuff like i don't really feel the stakes because as you said like they the robots can do whatever they want we don't really see any loss we don't see any damage we don't know what's being affected I mean, after the first time the Klaxosaur exploded, if it then exploded with Delphinium still inside it without the self-destruct being triggered, I wouldn't have bought that it would have damaged it. The fact that it did at the end, the fact that it was so dirty and scuffed up, was astounding. There's no middle ground here. And calling the fi- this a fight in this episode is like every time I go on YouTube and find clips of... <laughs> and I find clips of One Punch Man, it says full fight between Saitama <laughs> and X, and I'm like... That is not a fight. <laughs> you obviously did not watch the same show I did if you consider any fight that Seisma has, including against Boros, an actual fight. It is more of a curb stomp. <laughs> what a good show. Disingenuous clickbaity nonsense on YouTube, folks. I, lo- I love One Punch Man. I love it too. And that kept me wanting to watch it episode to episode. Mm-hmm. Even though it had a much more thinly, like, thin narrative, like, bit by bit. But I still wanted to see up next because they were compelling characters. Great characters, really interesting internal politics of the world as well. Yeah. But I find that the case in both of the one is is you do you pronounce it one or one whatever that uh, the mangaka like in both of his works that I've read I found the politics quite interesting. Aye, and I am in agreement with what you say here. I mean i I enjoyed this episode. Um, I enjoyed that it just gave us some solid, not exceptional but welcome character growth uh, for a character who previously has done. Very little. He has basically been Ichigo's uh, third wheel, really, in a number of respects. Uh, Or spare tire, I suppose you could call it. (laughs) It feels very strange to me to be annoyed at the show still, despite the fact that it's giving me stuff that I like to see. If -hmm. only because I think to myself again that if it is capable of doing this, why is it not doing this all the time? Um, Why is it not doing it with a a, a long-term goal, an endgame in mind? Yeah, and like you said, connecting all the different parts of it it feels like each episode like this episode in particular felt like it wanted to not do that intentionally it wanted to shield itself off from the other episodes and man i really gosh i want them to dig into each other and connect more yeah in fact i'm actually genuinely surprised there were no callbacks to the very episode before this one about the whole idea of you know thinking about what the girls might think because that's, mm-hmm. that's the idea of it. Like, you know, Goro finally realizes, although he should have realized this in the previous episode, but again, he should have reminded himself this, that this is what they've just been through, that he needs to consider Ichigo's feelings as well and lean on her a little bit. But that isn't brought up. It isn't referenced. I, I again say to you, I could probably show this episode in a vacuum. And apart from specific world-building concepts, like what the fuck are the Franks and all that, you wouldn't need to have watched previous episodes. Hero's situation is a non-issue at this point. The, the whole boys versus girls sex battle thing is done. Who cares? None yeah. of the, like, you know, the gender-related stuff, whether you may think it's good or bad, and I think there's plenty of reason to think it is bad as it's presented, that doesn't yeah. come up either, even though you'd think that might come up as, like, you know, a role-related thing because Goro's like the man and the man's got to defend the woman, but that's not right. really referenced right. either. It It's... A fine standalone slice of character building delivered very plainly and vanillaly, if that's not a word, but you get where I'm going. Yeah, the the it's it's executed fine. Just there's a there's a depth that I am I'm wanting that it's just not returning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I am glad that the gender essentialism 
I mean, you're right that they should have called back to the lesson of it. I'm, I'm glad that, the, you know, none, none of them were really doing it, I guess. I mean, I guess you could Argo, Argo, ah, not the Oscar nominated film. Oh, we, no, we, why don't we just watch that instead do a podcast on that? <laughs> you could argue that Goro was displaying it in how he behaved. But regardless, uh, I'm glad that, that it didn't really seep into this episode. I wish, like you said, though, that it would have in terms of lessons they learned. But yeah, I don't know. I think I probably, like, just for the fact that the gender essentialism wasn't in this episode like wasn't flagrant i i probably would give this one a three out of five cthulhu uh model kits mm. i was originally going to give this a 3.5 but having now thought about it and discussed it further and this is probably going to sound strange given i've complained so much about fan service episodes and given them the same rating but that was on the merit of the robot stuff which when it's there brief as it is and when it actually is a legitimate fight is good it's just not there very often. No. Uh, I am also going to give it the same rating. I'm going to give it three out of five sphincter-shaped helmets. <laughs> oh, I am Pillow Man. G- Goro is a different person at the end of this episode than when he started. The only thing that concerns me is the fact that the show may forget that, but well. <laughs> but I'll take it. He has changed and grown. There is a character arc in this, and I'm always glad to see them, even if they are done as simply as they are. It was just so much lettuce when I thought, here's a real hearty bite of something. And yeah, I'm just, I think I'm just kind of slowly realizing that maybe, maybe we're not going to get that. Yeah. Uh, But I don't know. I mean, there's a long way to go and who fucking knows. There is, but when you go to a restaurant and you wait an hour to get served an entree, that's not a good experience to borrow your food metaphor there. Yeah, we've been. It's been a month of unlimited breadsticks, and I'm ready for. I'm ready for my uh, protein. Yeah, but we're gonna stick around. I'm not done yet. I mean, I'll take my wins where I can get them, and I'll be here for Frank's ten, which will probably be rubbish because Frank's again, we ten. Frank's X. No, Frank's. <laughs> Frank's X. <laughs> I can retire from podcasting. I will never, ever peak that high again. That's it. Sex? (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) Uh, Thank you very much for listening, folks. (laughs) Uh, If they want, if we want to discuss, you know, the planning of the big event, Frank's X, with you, where can we do that? Well, if you want to discuss Frank's X with me and all, you know, the X-rated stuff that will happen in it, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Shaden1010, and you can also find me on CuriousCat.me forward slash Shaden. If you want to ask me things related to fighting games, anime, films, alcohol, alcohol, more alcohol, and maybe films while we're at it. Uh, for my part, uh, if you want to hit me up about Franks or other assorted nerddoms uh, playing through Dark Souls 3 right now, so talk to me about how good you are and how terrible I am at that game at the subtle doctor on twitter and curious cat curious cat dot me slash the subtle doctor and as we say at the end of every one of these thank you for listening and embrace each other everyone to the ends of the universe good night